The title of my message this morning is Rest for the Weary. Rest for the Weary. That's where we're going here. There it is. Rest for the Weary. Here in Psalm 23, this poem we just read together that many of us have read and heard before, David is using this incredible metaphor of a sheep and his shepherd to describe David's own relationship with God. And David is able to do this with some preciseness because David himself was a shepherd of actual sheep. He goes on to become the shepherd king of Israel. And so David's descriptions of who God is to him as a shepherd here in Psalm 23, it means more maybe to David, than it could mean to us. So we're doing our best to go slow and really unpack and experience and hear from David and from the Spirit as to what it really means to know God as our shepherd. This morning, let's look at verse 2. Now, to get there, we'll recap. We just read it, but I want to review the past two verses before that. This psalm starts with this foundational declaration that David makes when he says, the Lord is my Shepherd. This needs to be able to be said by anyone who would want to experience and rejoice in the benefits that follow. But this is the foundation. I belong to God, and he belongs to me. He's my shepherd. Now, the byproduct of that, we learned last week, is that to say the Lord is my shepherd is also to say I shall not want. Because of the character of our shepherd... His care for us as his sheep will always lead us and should always lead us to say, God, I'm, I'm content. I'm content. Not so much because of what I have or don't have in life, but because of who I have. I have you as my shepherd. You satisfy me. You provide for me. And you even transform the things that I want in life to have a value system that's in line with yours. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. Now, as David lays this foundation for us, of his shepherd's care, and the byproduct of that being a sheep's contentment, David is now going to begin to unpack in a little bit more detail what that looks like. That's actually the remainder of this psalm. Most of the verses that we're most familiar with uh, characterize what it actually is like to be cared for by God, what it really looks like. And he starts in verse 2 with this incredible expression. That with God as his shepherd and David as his sheep, he says that he makes me to lie down in green pastures. What is it like to have a relationship with God, David? David would say, it's a lot like how a shepherd makes his sheep lie down in a comfortable space, in green pastures. This speaks for the intense care of a shepherd to ensure that his sheep are at rest, that his sheep lie down. Now, um, I think the parents in the room can really relate with this idea, what it's like to have to make someone lie down. Um, no one really prepared me enough, I don't think, for parenting just with this simple understanding of, like, I wish someone would have just told me, hey, okay, it's going to be hard, it's going to be good times, bad times, but most of what you're in for is figuring out how to make a child be unconscious. <laughs> That's... Parents, right? Anybody? Anybody up late last night? Okay. 
You'll know, you'll know how my night usually went the night before based upon how much energy I have here preaching on Sunday morning, by the way. With three children under five, my wife and I have certainly been in a season of, season of uh, learning how to make our children lie down, go to sleep, okay? It's 3 a.m., all right? Uh, but I'll be honest. I'll be honest. I'll be transparent here for a moment. My primary motive for getting my kids to lie down, um, it would be a lie for me to say that it's, you know, their health, and their well-being. I, I didn't say it's not a motive. I care about their well-being. But at 3 a.m., sometimes 3.30, sometimes 4, sometimes all night. <laughs> but whatever the time may be at that hour, my primary motive for my daughter, our two-year-old who we just transitioned from a crib to a toddler bed, to lie down and go to sleep is because I want to go to sleep. Like, that's the primary reason. It's, I'm exhausted. I'm tired. I want you to lie down so that I can lie down and get two hours, maybe. Um, and all my parents said amen. Okay, thank you. Now, that's important to say because I think we need to understand this about God. When we understand this picture of, of God as a shepherd who wants his sheep to be at rest and to lie down, it's not like how we want our children to lie down because the Bible says this about God in Isaiah 40. The Bible says that God himself some theology here, some basic ideas about God. He never, he never grows weary. He'll never faint. He'll never get tired. He, isn't that good news to know that when you're exhausted, God is never exhausted? Well, you know what that makes him? That makes him a sufficient caretaker for our weariness, doesn't it? Because sometimes that's what makes me a lousy parent at 3 a.m. <laughs> is I'm a tired parent, right? And my ability to make my children lie down is not always filled with the spirit. It's often filled with exhaustion. And so here's this great picture, understanding a God in heaven who never grows weary, who never gets tired, and what he cares about with his sheep. This illustration of a shepherd is making sure that they are able to lay down in green pastures. It speaks of, of a shepherd taking his sheep to a place to be able to rest. Now, for some of us, this might be a foreign concept or a contradicting idea of our understanding of God. I mean, you're here at church this morning, and you're waiting for the pastor or the preacher to tell you that there's more things you need to do for God. You haven't done enough. You haven't showed up enough. You haven't read enough. You haven't served enough. You haven't prayed enough. You haven't been enough of what you need to be, a lot of us think about God that way, as someone who is always waiting for us to do more. Our idea of God is he kind of has his arms folded, right? And he's looking at our lives, and he's looking at the gaps. We all got our gaps. Anybody know about your gaps? The gaps between who you are and who you should be. If you're not sure of your gap, just ask your wife. She knows your gap, okay? But it's the gap between who we are and who we should be. It's also the gap between what we're doing and what we should be doing. If you're unsure of your gap, you have maybe on your phone your to-do list, and right now you're like, why'd you remind me of my gap? A lot of times we can think about God as sort of this like frustrated employer with his arms folded waiting for us to show up, waiting for us to do more. And David gives us this picture of a God who doesn't want us to do more. But what if today what God would want you to do more is stop and rest? What if God actually wants you to rest more? In fact, the one thing that maybe you should be doing more is doing less. 
The one thing that God wants you to be doing more is resting more. That's this idea of God that David gives us, that he makes me to lie down in green pastures. He cares for my rest. Come on, we know the story of Mary and Martha. These two sisters who are both hosting Jesus at their home, but there's this great contrast in the story between type A, Mary, and type B, Martha. But regardless of the personality types, Jesus shows us in this story of these two women that are hosting him that you can be in your life distracted with what you do for God. You have Martha who, as the host, she's making sure that the environment is set. That Jesus has, has everything he needs to eat. That, that, that the hospitality focus is perfectly set up. And then you have Mary who just wants to be with Jesus and sit at his feet. You have one who's distracted with much serving. And you have one who, Jesus says, is resting. And she's found the thing that is needed. It's the idea of, again, rest for the weary. Um, Jesus goes further to, I think, unveil this idea of God to us as a God who's looking for us to rest. When he gives his description of people through this crowd that he looks at in Matthew chapter 9, and this is a passage we look at a lot. It gives us insight to the heart of Jesus towards humanity. And it says this in Matthew 9, that when Jesus saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion for them because they were weary and scattered like sheep having no shepherd. Like a lot of us, we don't understand Jesus to be this way. We understand Jesus to be frustrated with what we haven't done, but what if Jesus today is compassionate towards your exhaustion? And he sees you as weary. He sees you as exhausted. And this is, again, this is idea of God. And then Jesus takes it a step further. I love this. He doesn't just diagnose our problems. This is what's so good about the gospel. It not only tells us what's wrong with us, but it tells us how we can be healed. And how we can come to Jesus for the help and the rest we need. So Jesus goes on to say in Matthew 11, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your soul. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. I like the message explanation of this in Matthew 11:28. 28. It says, Are you tired? Worn out? I like this, burned out on religion, come to me. Get away with me and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Jesus is leading us here beyond just physical rest, right? And we understand that, that Jesus does care for our physical well-being. You got, you got to do life in the body. And he created our bodies, and we're to present our bodies as a living sacrifice unto God. God does care for, that's another sermon actually, but God does care for our physical well-being and our physical rest. He, he models that through a Sabbath day. He cares that you get sufficient hours of sleep. There are seasons where you don't, because you have to make your sheep lie down at 3 a.m., right? But at the same time, God does care for our physical well-being. God does care that we're resting, that we're taking Sabbaths. But this is so much more than that. This is speaking of a deeper kind of rest than just physical this is speaking of almost a spiritual rest, a rest on a soul level. How many of us have experienced physical rest but have still been restless? How many of us actually carry around this sense of weariness no matter how long I sleep at night? It's almost like, a, you could think, I was thinking of it this way, it's like spiritual insomnia. We're here, and we're at church, and we're smiling, but we're burnt out. We're burnt out on religion. We're worn out. We're tired. We're run 
down. We just can't seem to rest spiritually. And it's to that person that Jesus says, come. Come to me. Come to me and I will give you rest. This is the picture. What a beautiful picture that, that fulfills what David is saying about the good shepherd who makes us lie down in green pastures. He gives us that rest. Now, any good shepherd in the room would know. Right, shepherds? Now, as David is, that's a joke. No, you're not shepherds. But David, as he's talking about this idea of how a shepherd leads his sheep to lie down, David knows what goes into this job. He knows what, what this task actually requires. Just you parents. Only the parents really know what it takes to get a kid to sleep. And there's techniques, all sorts of techniques. We have mastered most of them. Um, it's been the workout ball, the bouncy ball, that if you've been over my house, we've just moved into a new home, and there's all this nice furniture and just a big red workout ball right there in our living room. What is that? That's how we try to get our five-month-old to go to sleep, by bouncing on that thing chaotically um, until she does. It's gentle. We're not, we're not like crazy, but sometimes a little crazy. But, um, and the idea here is the extents that you go to to make your children lie down, what, well, David understands by this phrase, he makes me to lie down in green pastures. David understands the extent that a shepherd will go to to make his sheep lie down. For a shepherd to get a sheep to lie down, there are four specific areas that he needs to resolve. Sheep, um, it's hard enough sometimes to just get your dog to sit and lie down. Sheep are very difficult creatures to get into a comfortable position. They're very skittish. They're like humans. They're very stubborn to rest. They're very, they're very, uh, they're very driven, and, and they scare easy, and so there's this hesitancy to lie down. And so a good shepherd, to make his sheep lie down in green pastures, will have had to resolve four specific conflicts or obstacles to a sheep's rest. It kind of reminds me of, of my wife. Uh, she has, like, environmental settings on our house that need to be in order for her to go to sleep. Anybody else have that with their spouse or their family? Me, I'm the complete opposite. I go horizontal, and I die for seven hours. I go unconscious. Like, I need people to shake me to wake me up if the kids are sleeping. But when Brittany and I got married, and we started, you know, experiencing life together as a married couple and, and uh, the, the, our new home, it was a whole new world. It's like you have to have the door at a certain degrees, the temperature at a certain degrees. You got to make sure. And, and I could sleep through anything. My wife can hear a mosquito in the next house. Like, so, so there's these little settings. Well, same with the shepherd. There's certain settings. There's certain needs that need to be met for a sheep in order to lie down. And I think these are some relevant obstacles to our own rest as well. Jesus is wanting to bring us into that place of having rest in our souls. But maybe these are the four things that are keeping us from rest. A shepherd knows that in order for his sheep to lie down, he's going to have to deal with the sheep's fear. He's going to have to deal with, deal with famine and making sure the sheep are full. He's going to have to deal with friction within the flock. And he's going to have to deal with flies, the different things that are bugging the sheep. Let's look at each of these. I think these are pretty relevant to maybe the obstacles today that are keeping us from experiencing the rest that Jesus wants to give us. And let's see how Jesus deals with these obstacles. First, let's see how our good shepherd makes us lie down by dealing with fear. Sheep will not lie down and rest if there is any sort of fear or, um, or even, even just the thought or the, or the possibility of some kind of predatory threat. They won't. Um, you know, sheep are very skittish. Even if it's a rabbit running by, uh, you read about uh, 
about flocks, whole flocks that just go crazy, buck wild, um, pun intended, I guess, um, but um, they just go nuts when any time any sort of creature runs by, they, they lose it. They're so skittish, and, and that fearfulness is what prevents a sense of restfulness, and this is true for all of us. I mean, if we're honest, right, um, we all sleep better with a locked door. <laughs> we just do. Um, I don't know about you, but like anytime my family's out of town in a new place, anytime, like even moving into our new home, there's so much about the environment you're in for me that I got to be familiar with. I got to make sure all the doors are locked, especially with kids. Uh, there's something about fearfulness that will prevent restfulness. Some of us today are weary through fear. Whether it's the fear of losing something whether it's the fear of not accomplishing something. Maybe it's a fear of the direction of our country and the cultural change we're seeing, and we sort of don't know what to do, so we freak out, and we verbalize our fears on social media as a conduit to deal with them and cope with them. But fear, a fear maybe of someone leaving you, a fear of parents, your children resenting you, a fear, a fear that's actually paralyzing you. And keeping you from lying down in the place that God has prepared for you to rest. 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7. A lot of you have heard this verse before. says that God has not given us a spirit of fear. But he's given us power, love, and a sound mind. So anytime there is in our lives something that's keeping us from sleep in a way that's paralyzing something that we're carrying, something that's not in, involved in our communication with God, it must be recognized as not something that God has given me. And as believers, as followers of Jesus, we don't want to live and operate in our lives with things that are not of God. We, we don't want to take ownership of that. We don't want to entertain those things. And God has not given us the spirit of fear, the spirit of terror, the spirit of paralyzation. Um, and, you know, without getting into this too much, you know, as we go through Psalm 23, we get to kind of the famous passage here that talks about the valley of the shadow of death, how we will fear no evil because God's a rod and his staff that comforts us. Our shepherd is with us. But David understood that the, the, the great extents that a shepherd would go to for his sheep to be free of fear. He knew how much fear kept his sheep from rest, but he also knew what it would require at times to make sure they could rest. So some Shepherds would themselves just lay down with the sheep. They'll be there in the presence of the sheep, whether with some sort of protective weapon or a rifle. But often that is the solution for a shepherd to make his sheep lie down. It's amazing what can happen in a flock when a shepherd is present. It's amazing how fear kind of flees with the presence of the shepherd. When he comes near, fear goes far. And the sheep are able to lie down. Down. It's such a great picture, right, of what happens when Jesus comes into our lives. And Jesus said this, don't fear man, right? What, what can man really do for you? What can they do to you, rather? Fear God. God is the one that we fear. When you encounter God, it's amazing how big God gets and how small our fears should get. When we get to know him and we experience him. So David says things like, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? In the presence of my shepherd, fear, it flees. I can lie down because God is near, and it's so much more than that. We talk about the extent that a shepherd will go to for his sheep to be free of fear. You know, there's one thing in life that should keep us up at night. 
there really is one, I think, substantial fear that at the end of the day, every single person has to deal with, and that's the fear of death. It's a real legitimate fear. That's what keeps sheep from sleeping. It should keep us from sleeping as well, in a sense. That's the one thing that we should all be afraid of, and it just also so happens to be the one thing that Jesus has overcome, that we got to be reminded of. I love how it says it in Hebrews chapter 2. This is such an awesome proclamation of what our shepherd has done to get us to go to sleep by dealing with fear. It says this, Inasmuch then as the children of God have partaken of flesh and blood, we're people, it says that Jesus, God himself, he himself likewise shared in the same, that through death he might destroy him who had the power of death, that is the devil. It says, And release those who through the fear of death were all their lives subject, lifetime subject to bondage. See, this is our condition and our state apart from our shepherd, unable to rest. Because we don't know what's going to happen if death comes knocking at our door, if the grim reaper shows up. And there is this bondage to the fear of death, right? It enslaves you. It leads you to say things like YOLO, right? <laughs> you only live once. And we kind of act like it's a, um, you know, a sentiment. But at the end of the day, if we're honest, there's this deep abiding fear of what happens when I die. Because we want this life to go on. It's just, it's not so much also the thought of what happens afterwards, but it's the thought of life ending, the absence of life. It's terrifying. And the Bible teaches this, that you, were, you and I were not created for that kind of fear. The Bible teaches that, it, that fear, it, it, and uh, death rather, it has this sting to it that wasn't wired into life. Death is the byproduct of sin. Romans 6.23 says the wages of sin is death. It's separation from God. It's separation from life. It's separation from God eternally apart from Jesus. And what Satan has done, and we don't need to get too much into this, the devil. You believe in the devil like pitchfork and stuff. We don't need to get too far into that. But the adversary of God, Satan, and of God's people, what he has done with this thing called death and our fear of death is, as it says here, he's used the power of death. He's weaponized death to hold people in fear and in control. That's what he does. And this is why we always need to see Jesus show up as the hero of every story. What this tells us about Jesus is that we can go to sleep. We can let our heads lie down. We can, we can rest easy because of the fact that Jesus has delivered us from this fear. He's, he's released us, I love that, who through the fear of death were all their life subject to bondage. And the best part about it is how he did it, right? We know that Jesus, he conquered death through death. It's pretty sweet. I, I like the way he said it. It says that through death, he might destroy him who had the power of death. It reminds me of the classic story of David and Goliath. David he has the first few fatal blows that he hits Goliath with, Goliath with with his slingshot. But following those slingshot hits, what does he do? He goes up to Goliath, and he takes Goliath's sword, and he epically chops off his head with it. Some solid biblical decapitation happening. That's what David does. Listen, he chops off the enemy's head with his own sword. This is what Jesus has done. He's taken that weapon of the fear of death, and Jesus went and grabbed it right out of the hand of the enemy and chopped off Satan's head with it. That through Jesus, we might be released from the fear of death. And I, again, I love 
the explanation in the, in the message version, it says this, that Jesus, by embracing death, taking it into himself, he destroyed the devil's hold on death and freed all who cower through life, scared the death of death. So here's the first piece of good news. Your good shepherd has overcome death for you and for me so that you and I don't have to live life restless, cowering in fear about what's to come because we know who holds what's to come, amen? And so as God's people, we display this great, beautiful peace in times where our nation is going crazy. And we don't have to go nuts and kick people over because they're not on our side. We have Jesus on our side. And we don't represent timidity and anxiety and restlessness. We represent those who have been delivered from the greatest fear of all. We say, thank you, Jesus. The one thing I really need to be afraid of, you've taken care of. I'm going to take a nap. <laughs> That's what we say. I'm going to lie down. I'm going to be at rest. We also said, secondly, not just fear, but also famine. Famine. This is certainly true for sheep. It's also true for humans that we don't like to go to sleep sometimes on an, on an empty stomach. Okay, so whatever you end up doing to fix that, Uber Eats has been a problem for us. Whatever's not in the fridge, you can get it delivered to your door, whatever it may be. But if you're like me, that's one of the harder um, preventions of sleep is when I come home and, you know, it's time to go to bed. But my wife and I look at each other and we're like, wouldn't it be fun if we just ate right now? <laughs> and uh, we, we often do. And, <laughs> um, and it helps me sleep, I'll tell you that, depending on what we ate for sure. Um, <laughs> But same with sheep. Uh, for a shepherd to make his sheep lie down, he knows he needs to feed his sheep. Hungry sleep, sheep are restless sheep. They're sleepless if they're hungry. Um, and this is something that we see all throughout, actually. Uh, the, the, the full narrative of Scripture is God, in describing his people as his sheep, and even says it in Isaiah 40, this promise about God that he's going to feed his sheep like a shepherd. This is who God is. We talk a lot about in this, in this series, we're talking a lot about God as a provider, a God who supplies all of our needs, who fills in our gaps, who knows what we need even before we do. But there's this constant promise all throughout God's word that is, is often calling for God's people's attention to have a confidence in God's provision, but also to have a focus on how God looks to and seeks to provide for his people through his word. So that in the Bible, we not only see that God is a God who wants to feed his sheep. In fact, we see this also with the life of Peter, right? Peter's commission from Jesus at the end of his life was, Peter, feed my lambs, feed my flock. But you see this picture even in the, in the book of Job. You see this idea of God's word being food that satisfies a hungry soul. It's uh, Job. Let me get to it here. Job. I think this is it. Let's hope so. Yep. There it is. Job 15, 16 says, Your words were found, and I ate them, and your word was to me the joy and the rejoicing of my heart. Why? Because Jesus himself also promised the same truth. That those, it's Matthew chapter 5, verse 6, that those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, that they're going to be filled. So, so God is looking to feed our hungry souls. The question is not, are you hungry? The question is, are you feasting. Um, and for a lot of us, that's what's keeping us from sleep as well. There's this emptiness that we go to bed with. 
and we're searching, we, we could rather for the illustration, a lot of us are starving for answers. We're starving for truth, and we're unable to sleep because of it, but as God's people, as even those who today, you don't, maybe go, I don't have a relationship with God, there's no need to starve because God has given you his word. That when you feast on God's word, there's this sense of satisfaction, and you can lie down. So who here is starving for answers because you're not feasting on God's word? You're taking that time to let God satisfy you, let God speak to you so that you can rest. He deals with famine. That's what the good shepherd does. And then also, you saw this one. He also deals with our friction, our friction. Um, For a shepherd to make sure that his sheep are lying down in green pastures, he needs to make sure that all the sheep are being in line. One of the most common causes of unrest among sheep is the friction between sheep. Because things have changed, haven't they? Right? Of course not. You see, in, um, how do I say this? I almost want to say sheep communities. Um, In sheep culture. (laughs) um, In the world of sheep, uh, what you have is you have a budding order. Like, you know, in chickens, you have the pecking order. Okay? And... In uh, church, you have what's called politics, and then in sheep, you have the budding order. And the budding order is, is the, basically the cream of the crop, those who have earned their way, they have harmed their way, harmed others to get to the top. It's this even political setup among sheep. We can learn a lot about humanity by just looking at a flock of sheep. It's a mirror. It's a mirror. The way that sheep will hurt to get ahead. The idea is that they must always stand up and defend their rights and contest the challenge of any intruder that comes their way to try to knock them off of their spot on the totem pole. That's the goal among sheep. And so there's constant friction that's keeping the sheep from resting because they always got to watch their back. You never know if Mama Ram is going to come let me know that she's in town, right? And there's this constant fighting that leads to this constant friction and Well, certainly, first and foremost, we understand this, that the gospel of Jesus Christ sets us free from that kind of life that's always trying to get the top spot in the community, that's always trying to get ahead through harming others, through manipulating my way to the top. The gospel shows us a Savior who was at the top, and he came to the bottom. And he, who was master of all, became the servant and the slave of all, even to the point of death, the death of a cross. And so Philippians says, let that same mind be in you. That if you're a part of Solus Church, you're not here to get to the top. You're here to be like Jesus and serve at the bottom, all of us. You know, uh, it was James McDonald who classically said, you know, today in the church, the way we think about it is you got to start as the janitor so that one day you can be with enough service, you get to be the pastor. You know, so maybe if I serve enough, one day they'll give me a microphone. And James McDonald said, according to the order of Jesus, it's the opposite. You start as the pastor, you should end up as the janitor. You should end up as the person who's not just lording in leadership, but is serving as a leader. And that's the same that's true for us. The result of that is constant friction among the sheep that causes unrest. And also, I mean, this is so much more than just faith communities and churches. Like, this is true in our marriages. The constant friction that's going to come from you always having to defend your rights. You having to be understood. You having to be the top. You're the man. You're the one she's got to submit to. So you got to make sure you force your way in there. Love your wives as Christ loved the church, right? It it, it frees us. The gospel frees us from that kind of thinking. Um, 
Ephesians chapter 4, speaking about friction relationally and rest, says, don't let the sun, what, go down on your anger. Now, for those of us in this room who are like me, you're a bit more emotional, that verse is not hard for me to fulfill. Um, I kind of can't let the sun go down on my anger. I'm more prone to, like, it all has to be resolved. Like, I need to make peace with everyone before I go to sleep. Otherwise, I'm not going to get good sleep. So it's usually my wife. It's like, can we just, can we resolve this in the morning? And I'm like, no. Time is now. Today is the day of salvation, Brittany, you know? And... <laughs> Like, that's my kind of M.O., is to, to, to be very much, like, in the moment. And sometimes we're different in that way. But regardless of how you operate with that idea, the truth is still the same. Some of us today, there's a lack of rest in our lives because of unresolved conflicts that you go to sleep thinking about every night, which you should. Jesus said in Matthew 5, he says, if you bring your gift to the altar, there you go, you come to perform your religious duty, you come to church, you raise your hands, you worship. He says, remember that if your brother has something against you, you should leave that gift at the altar and go your way and first be reconciled to your brother, then come to Jesus, right? The the scriptures don't let us do this kind of separation thing where we go, my relationship with God over here, my relationship with people over here. It's an unseparable braid, what God has brought together that we can't separate. This connection between how I love God and how I love my neighbor. So Romans says it this way, and whatever the Spirit would have you do with this, but Romans says it this way. It says, if it is possible, as much as depends on you, live peaceably with all men. Whatever that is for you, and it may not be possible in this lifetime. It may not be something that God reconciles, but as much as depends on you, the Bible, God's word, leading us to be followers of Jesus would would put that weight on our lives to say, resolve it. It's why you're not resting. And whatever that looks like, maybe for some of you, it's having to go to someone, that's what Matthew says, and say, hey, listen, I feel like I love you and I value our friendship and what you did. I prayed about it, and you could tell me if it's off, let's have a conversation, but I feel like this thing you did really hurt me. And Because I love you, I want to tell you about it. I want you to know that I'm not coming to you to judge you and condemn you. I'm coming to you to say that I forgive you. Maybe you need to go to them. Maybe for you, it's, it's, the, it's the opposite. Maybe you go, I need to apologize. I need to go to that person and say, listen, I blew it. Now, whatever it may be, whether it's an apology or, or, or offering forgiveness, um, there's one thing that's clear. The direction's always the same. The direction is always go to the person, Right? We would like for the friction to just kind of dissipate and disappear with time. Okay, no big deal. God, you forgot about that, right? Me too. Good night. You know, we would love for it to be that easy. But from God's perspective, he is deeply concerned with the, with the well-being of your soul and your relationship with him, with how it pertains to people around you. So go to them, whatever it may be. The encouragement would be, as much as depends on you, live at peace with all men. And then write this last one down. Um, every shepherd knows that if he is going to get his sheep to lie down. He's got to deal with flies, too. He's got to deal with flies. So sheep, they won't rest if there's some sort of fear of predatory threat. Thanks be to God that Jesus has eliminated every ultimate fear, even the fear of death. Sheep, they'll they'll also not lie down if they're hungry. Thanks be to God that he's provided his word to feed us and satisfy us anytime we're starving for answers or truth. Sheep, they won't lie down if there's relational friction within the flock. In that budding order, 
And again, thanks be to God that Jesus is our example who humbles himself and comes to us to resolve what's broken in our relationship with him. And then lastly, a shepherd knows that sheep will not lie down if there's flies. And sheep have to deal with all sorts of insects that are keeping them from sleep, whether the different kinds of flies or even parasites. But uh, you guys know this as well. You ever been camping? So if you've been camping before, you know that one of the biggest hindrances to your sleep is not just the, the wet <laughs> puddle you're sleeping in or the threat of those evil raccoons taking your Costco muffins. One of the biggest threats that we face when camping is, is it's the small things. It's often the unseen things. And I think this is a great illustration in our lives about the things that also are keeping us from rest that nobody else can see. The little things. Not just the little sins that you're caught up in. You know that the Song of Solomon that says that it's the little foxes that can sometimes spoil the whole garden. Sometimes it's those little things. But what are the little things that are bugging you? What are those little, it's usually for me, I don't know about you, but for me, if I can confess, um, for me, the thing that often keeps me from getting true rest at night is those little things I haven't done yet. It's those little, those little resolutions. Now, nobody would know it because we hide pretty well and we just kind of put on our face and we get through it. But if you're like me, your mind is always going and you're always thinking about that next thing. And a shepherd, what he does is he resolves that issue by taking care of those flies. Now, how does a shepherd do that? In order for a shepherd to free his sheep from the threat of insects so that they can lie down, um, what he'll do is he will lead them often, as we, we read there about green pastures, but a shepherd will also lead those sheep into a place that has kind of a, a belted hedge around them of trees and bushes so that they're protected from those little bugs. Um, so location is the big idea here. Sometimes it's about your location. It's where you put yourself. Uh, we know Jesus was a pretty busy guy. He had, a, he had a lot to do, everything his father told him. That's a few things. Whatever God wants you to do, he was about while he was on earth. And we, lear we learned this custom from Jesus in his life. Mark 1 says that, that in the morning, Jesus, having risen a long while before daylight, that he went out and he departed to a solitary place, and there he prayed. So I don't know where that is for you, I don't know when that is for you. I don't know how that is for you, mom with three kids. Uh, here's what I do know. I know it looks different in seasons. You guys know what I'm talking about? I wish I could still wake up every morning and get my three hours of quiet time. Ha, <laughs> quiet. That's hilarious. Um, quiet time, I mean, qu would be nice. I just need sometimes just time. Sometimes it's not, qu sometimes you just need loud time with Jesus. It's not always quiet. Sometimes it's about figuring out, Lord, now whatever it may be, I want you to know that God, however that looks like for you, first of all, don't, don't live life with this guilt that your quiet time looks different than when it used to when you weren't married or when you didn't have kids. At the same time, where is God leading you to be alone with him? Where, how, when? That's the questions for you to pray about. Here's what I know. When you find yourself in that location, the things that are bugging you and keeping you, um, they won't drown you. And you will be able to actually be filled up to complete, like Jesus did, the things that God gave him. I love that about Jesus. He was never bugged by his to-do list, right? He spent time with his father, and it was from that place of relationship with his father that when he went about his day, the son of God himself, when he would go about his day, he wouldn't accomplish everything from our standards. He, he goes to the pool of Bethesda, and, and there's tons of people there to be healed, and he heals one of them. 
And he says, because here's why I'm here, not to do whatever, I want, whatever my father has before me. He's put good things before me to walk in. I just want to wake up each day and walk in it. There's rest in that, guys. And this, again, comes from the gospel, from knowing that, listen, it's, you don't derive your identity and your worth in what you're able to complete in life. Some of us, this is why we're so restless in this area, because our identity is derived from our ability to get things done. That's who we are. So if I can complete this, if I can meet this quota, if I can lead this team, if I could reach this goal in life, if I could just, if I could just, now, there's nothing wrong with having desire and drive be determined, but at what point does that drive and that goal define who you are? And instead of it being what Jesus has done to define you, it's what you do for him that defines you. And the gospel, again, gives us this sense of rest. Um, that's what the good shepherd does as he leads us to lie down in green pastures. As we close out with a time here to come to the Lord's table, I want to leave us with one final verse. The shepherd, he ensures that we can be those that lie down in a soul level, that we have rest, that we're not weary. He gives us rest through resolving the things that keep us from that peace. But the ultimate work that Jesus has done for our rest is he has provided for us relationship with God the best news of all. And here's what 1 Peter tells us about that. I love this scripture. It says in 1 Peter 1, it says, therefore, gird up the loins of your mind and be sober and rest your hope fully upon the grace that is to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. See, the green pasture in a lot of your Bible says that he makes me lie down in pastures of tender grass. And this is also huge when it comes to rest, right? It has to do with what you're resting on. Having the proper mattress or platform that you're laying on is key to your rest. And so here's a question we'd ask ourselves today in light of God's word. As you stand before God one day, what's your hope that he's going to welcome you into his kingdom? What is, what right now, even, let's, let's even talk about the meaning of your life. What is your entire being resting on? What's supporting the weight of your life? Peter says here, he says, Christians, rest your hope. This is huge. Fully upon the grace that is to be brought to you. This speaks of when Jesus returns. A lot of us see Jesus returning with his kind of task list, comparing it to what we've done in our lives. But Peter says when Jesus comes, he's not coming to rule your life with this to-do list as a believer. He's coming with grace. He's coming to just love on his people, all those who have rested their hope in him. You see, we're all resting on something today. You don't get, the, you don't get to uh, decide whether or not you're resting on something. Some of you today are resting on the hope that God doesn't exist. Some of you are resting on the hope that you'll live a good enough life that he'll accept you and welcome you into his kingdom. There is no other foundation to rest on than the fact that Jesus Christ, he lived a sinless life, the life that you and I have failed to live. And as a sinless lamb, he went to a cross. And on that cross, he became a substitute. He switched places with us. He on that cross, though he never committed sin, the Bible says that he became sin. All the mistakes, all of our failures, the things that we've done, the things that we're doing, the things that we don't even know we're going to do, all of that filth, Jesus, the Bible teaches, he became that. 
He became that. He died on that cross, absorbing the full weight of your and my guilt. And as we looked at the best news of all, he was victorious over death so that those of us who are forgiven can not just be forgiven in this life, but we can be carried past death into eternal life. This is called the gospel of Jesus, the good news of Jesus. Are you resting your hope fully upon that grace? Fully on that grace. There was a missionary who in trying to communicate this verse to the aborigine culture that he was reaching, he had such a hard time trying to get them to understand, rest your hope, and here's the hard word, fully. He, he was doing his best to translate it into this foreign language so he could tell them, hey, rest your hope on Jesus, do it. But the part that he was having a lot of trouble with was, how do I get these people to understand that being a Christian is not just kind of putting your hope in Jesus, but it's this full hope in Jesus. And so in the culture that he was in, in this community that he was reaching, it was a hobby and a trend for the people to lounge throughout the day on hammocks. That's how they got by. That's how they rested in green hammocks. Just kidding. But there they would be on their hammocks. And, and if you've been on a hammock before, a, a constant trend for these native people is that as they would lay on the hammock, they would have their body supported, but they would also have one foot on the ground to kind of do the swing thing. You ever done that? So the pastor strings out a hammock before the people. And he says, this is you. You're resting on Jesus with your foot on the ground. But he says, to rest your hope fully upon the grace of God is to let the full weight of your life be supported by God's grace. Kick your feet up and lay down on what Jesus has done. And this was his way for them to understand what it means to be saved. And some of us, this is old news, but maybe it needs to be fresh news because we come to church. We rest on Jesus. We're Christians. We've prayed the prayer. We, we've put our faith in him, but there's still, if we're honest, there's still this part of us that's trying to support our life. We're still trying to please God. We're still trying to be good enough. And what God would say to us this morning, Soulless Church, is rest your hope fully on the grace of Jesus. He is the one who has led you to be able to lie down in this green pasture. Amen? Amen.